The book is better. The book is better. Maybe sometimes the movie is better. Also, you're wrong because it's always the book, 100% of the time. Books are so long. better we are discussing the second book today in the hunger Games series catching fire so just a big fyi there will be spoilers uh there are probably going to be spoilers for everything in the hunger games franchise with the exception of songbirds and snakes which we will actually cover when it comes out but i have not even read it yet i think only one of us um is even really familiar with the book maybe maybe two of us so my name is rebecca i am the daughter slash sister of the family. And uh, as you probably can already tell, my thing is that I'm pretty much always going to prefer the book over the movie and I will die on that hill most of the time. Uh, anyway, I'm going to share my fun fact of the day. Today's theme is going to be our weird film viewing habits. So if you do anything that's a little quirky or different, um, that's what we're talking about. So my quirky viewing habit is that I cannot watch movies or television without English subtitles on. Now, if I go to the theater and they don't have a subtitles thing that's easy like to access, I'm okay with it. But legitimately, I don't turn them on on YouTube because they're so bad. But when we're watching TV or movies, I obsessively turn them on. And if other people at other people's houses watch movies without subtitles, I will awkwardly request subtitles until they say yes because it is that important to me. <laughs> that's true. It's very awkward. Oh, thanks. Uh, I remember I was watching the first two Harry Potter movies with my friend that um, had a little bit of a hearing issue. So she had always used subtitles, and I'd never seen anybody do that. And I was young. I was, I think I was in middle school or something. And from then on, I just, like, it stuck. I never wanted to do anything different. You didn't do it because of Josh? That's why I do it. No, I did it because when I was in middle school, I watched the first two Harry Potter movies. Um, Is Josh's name Alicia. a secret? Josh is my husband. He's our producer. He is in the room, but he's not mic'd, um, which is unfortunate. But he tells me that's so that he can add his own little things in post-production and not tell us <laughs> until so after he, the episode comes and out. And so he can play Diablo. Well, that's probably the more important reason. But... So he can play video games. Is that the clean yeah, version? <laughs> Diablo's dirty. We're allowed no. to talk about video games we play. Just because it's clean doesn't mean we don't do anything interesting. Don't divert. I was saying, Josh convinced me the subtitles are... Then you need them. Well, I mean, what an interesting tidbit is it that we found each other and ended up married and both loved to watch movies with subtitles. Yeah. Well, that's another reason for people to get married because you like subtitles. That's great. Add it to the list. <laughs> I'm Josiah. I'm the son slash brother of the fam. I, uh, my quirk is what we're doing. My yes. quirk is that I do not like watching movies outside the movie theater. Which uh, has been tough recently. Uh, not super recently, but a couple, you know, a few years ago. It's tough to keep up with the movies um, back in 2020, 2021, stuff like that. But um, it's hard for me to watch a movie at home. I just feel like I'm wasting time. I need to be doing something else. So I usually get on my phone or I get on my Switch and play games or, or scroll through social media or news or something. 
and I miss a lot of the movie. Or whenever someone puts on a movie at like a party, a gathering, everyone goes to sleep. They're not watching the movie. And so, you know, maybe it's a there's, lullaby. there's something to be said for, you know, just put something on and everyone can fall asleep to it. But I, that's not why I would want to watch a movie. I don't want to put a movie on for that purpose. So I just haven't had a lot of positive experiences with watching movies outside the theater. Um, I usually don't. So I, I almost question why anybody that grew in my womb <laughs> could not watch movies at home but then while you were talking i think i know why Uh, i'm donna and i'm the wife mom of these two amazing children and um, amazing husband it just dawned on me respectively when when you were young i came across the first matrix movie when it came out and watched it oh daily for quite some time i would just play it and do other things and walk around the house i was so mesmerized with the movie because one of my things is finding why people do things and understanding and looking for profound profound principles in movies and i found so many in there and every time i would watch it i would find something else in there to be amazed by and so i you guys grew up with repeat movies like that so maybe that's why you're turned against them and i still do it i don't know what in the world i would do what i would have time to clean the house (laughs) oh my gosh i will say like i am more what you described in both ways actually like i will put a lot of movies on and like work or you know, do other things, but only if I'm rewatching, if I'm watching something for the first time, I try really hard not to, but I will not do that. So I would say my quirk is I I do rewatch. You're a super rewatcher. Because there's so many things. I think one, I'm not a super observant person. So watching it once, I know I've missed things, even focused as I can be. Um, So yeah, I'm a rewatcher. And what's your most recent rewatch? Uh, the pitch two pitch perfects. The third one is I don't even consider it a movie. Uh, Godfather one and two, Die Hard one, Die Hard four. These are all recent. Within the last three months, okay. uh, for the millionth time, uh, Hunger Games. The right? Hunger Games series. I watched that two or three weeks ago and thought, oh, good, I'll have time to watch it one more time before we do the podcast <laughs> for it. Okay, <laughs> I, I, that gives you enough. I'm sure. And Harry Potter. My name's Tim. I am the husband and the dad. And when Donna puts movies on just to watch in the background, I stop. She, If she doesn't want me to clean the house or doesn't want me to do my chores or any of that stuff, turn on a movie. She turns it on for background. Here's one of my quirks. If I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I want to sit down and watch the movie. I don't want to discuss it. Put it on pause if we're going to discuss. I prefer <laughs> that we watch. You know, it's a whole experience that we've really lost. A VHS where you put it in and then you'd see these like four or five previews coming soon to theaters, coming soon to VHS <laughs> and DVD. That was an experience we kind of lost. That's well, true. When you got the DVD, that was gone. And then Blu-ray, uh, 
was even faster and had more content. You could watch a lot of the extras and things. And I've watched a lot of Blu-ray and DVD extras for a lot of the movies that I like. I do not. I don't think. I can't remember the last time I watched an extra on anything like that. But I and will you say. You can just watch it on on YouTube, YouTube or whatever. Most likely. They probably don't make them very much anymore besides maybe director commentary for a yeah. few things. That's fair. We uh, we will randomly look up movie previews on like the previews app on Apple TV or just on YouTube and we're huge nerds so we will seek out the previews despite the fact that they are not in front of us on the VHS. What are we talking about today? All right, today we are going to be going over the Catching Fire book and film, which is the second in the uh, trilogy of books in the Hunger Games series. It is the second of four movies. Um, And just like a quick recap, we did this for the first one as well. The book Catching Fire starts with Katniss about six months after she and PETA have finished their Hunger Games. Um, She's dealing with a lot of different things from her struggles with the way Gail feels about her and the way PETA feels about her to her confusing confusing feelings that she has. And It picks up with them, her and PETA, going on the victory tour with Effie and Hamish, during which time they basically visit all 12 districts and the Capitol. Um, Before they leave for the victory tour, Snow visits Katniss in 12, which is highly irregular, tells her that they need to convince him of their love. They fail, and in the midst of their victory tour, um, not only do they fail to prove their love, they also become aware of some uprising and uh, rebellion going on in the districts. And so basically they do the victory tour, find out they have not impressed snow and that they're kind of doomed, get back home and, um, Essentially, Katniss tries to convince people to run away. Let's get out of 12 momentarily. Uh, No one agrees, basically, in time. And the District 12 peacekeeping unit is replaced with new peacekeepers. District 12 is oppressed, much more like the other districts in in Panem are oppressed. They have uh, even more problems with food, even more problems with poverty, and Katniss's mother, who's essentially she and Prim act as nurse, nurses and doctors in 12. Um, they are just seen with a bunch of people constantly through in the midst of Katniss and PETA still trying to live up to this whole wedding thing that happened on the victory tour where PETA proposed to her. Um, the day in the books, it's a little less clear, but in the books, the day that Katniss's wedding dress shoot is shown on television, they find out that for the quarter quell, which is the third one of its kind, every 25 years, the Hunger Games has a special game called a quell. Um, and in this quarter quell, the tributes will be reaped from the existing pool of victors. Blew which, my mind. Oh, that was yes. absolutely a twist I did not see coming. Um, so essentially... Katniss is the only living female victor in 12. Hamish and Peta are the only living male victors. And so at the reaping, which happens another, you know, four, three, I think three months after that announcement, something around those lines, um, at the reaping, after which the three of them have put in a bunch of time to gain weight and get healthy and work out train-like careers, um, they then find Hamish's name pulled from the two names, essentially, in the big old bowl. I don't know what the name of that is. What is the big bowl? The Reap Bowl. The Reap Bowl. I don't think that's what it's called. Um, So 
There probably is. Um, but anyway, they pick Hamish's name out. PETA volunteers. He and Katniss go to the Capitol um, and meet the other tributes who, again, are victors. So they find that they are in a pool of people who are all in some ways killers, but many of whom are old or uh, so strung out on drugs that they're not really much of a threat. But there are several tributes in the ring that are now let's just say much bigger of a threat than they would have been in the past. Um, they go into the arena, which is a, uh, beachy kind of ocean themed arena almost. Um, it's very hot and tropical where Katniss and PETA who had not planned on this end up teaming up with multiple other victors, including, uh, Finnick and his district four counterpart old mags. Uh, they also team up with Joanna and she's from district four, Five, I want to say, and then Wyrus and BD from District Three, who are very, very smart. Wyrus, though, is a little um, unable to kind of hang normally. Did you say um, Joanna Mason? Uh, yeah, Joanna Mason. Is she from she's five? District seven. District seven is lumber. I'm so sorry. So they team up, kind of in different ways, and essentially. They don't really know what's going on. Katniss and Peter were left in the dark. You find out at the end of the games, which don't end normally, that um, BD had had this whole plan where they destroy the arena because there was an uprising um, that was planned with the help of District 13. Um, and so Katniss at the end of the movie and book essentially destroys the arena. Um, she kind of figures out enough of the plan to move forward with that destruction. She and Finnick are rescued from the arena by, uh, Plutarch Heavensby, the game maker who is actually undercover working with district 13 to help, um, begin the rebellion. He's on the, uh, hovercraft with Hamish and Finnick. And unfortunately, Peta and Joanna Mason are captured and go back to the Capitol. And so the, the book final pages of the book end and the movie with her waking up, talking to Gail, finding out that district 12 was bombed shortly after, um, the games ended so unceremoniously and that her mother and sister made it, but that they are now in underground district 13. So that That was was a really long explanation. explanation. A lot happens. There's a lot in this movie. Actually, one of the fun little trivia facts that I wrote down somewhere is that this is the longest runtime of all four movies. So this one, I believe, is two hours and 26 minutes, and the next one down is like 2.08 or something along those lines. So they're all over two hours, but this one was significantly longer. So, yeah. Nice. Why don't we talk about some of the things that were different? Different. From the book to the movie. From the book to the movie? Yeah. Well, first of all, they are called Reaping Bowls on the fandom they, website. So I just Reaping Bowl yeah. was so close. Yeah. I'm very proud of you, Josiah. Thank you very yeah. much. I'm real glad because Reap Bowl is really awkward. And hard to say. Yeah. You would so think that for someone who writes... Um, stage plays and author's books and the other person who edits content for a living that one of us would have come up with something that wasn't horribly hard to say out loud, but you know what? Or maybe they came up with it on purpose to make it Oh, maybe it was funny on purpose. We're very funny. I don't know if you've noticed in this depressing dystopian novel we're discussing. To start on a slightly different, different tack, uh, I had a friend that was reading along with the book series about the same time we originally read the book series uh, and discovered that there was going to be a series of movies as well. And her response to this book was, wow, they're making a movie about it? 
there, there's an awful lot of people in this book that are naked a lot of the time. <laughs> so, um, how will they handle that? Actually, part? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things for me that was different between the book and the movie. Um, they took, uh, they tried to utilize, uh, partial nudity or, uh, or things where the camera cuts away in a lot of places. But, uh, in the book, there was quite a lot of of nudity, as in, you know, how they how they were uh, strutting around. Finnick was one of those people, and Joanna was one of those people, um, basically because they'd come to either not care or they had accepted uh, a different lot in life. Fun trivia: Who is the last person that they mention being naked in Catching Fire? Oh well, wow. uh, is it surprising? Yes, I'm. I'm going to guess. Lyris. <laughs> Anybody else got a guess? <laughs> wow, uh, it is in the arena. If that helps, it's in the arena. Mm-hmm. The oh. correct answer is yeah. the correct answer is Beatty. Because when he's injured at some point, Katniss and I think Joanna have to strip him down. Like, and she says something about him being naked, but it doesn't really affect her at this point. She's seen so many people naked, which is funny. Yeah, no, in the book, Mm -hmm. it's It's in in the book. book. It's not the movie. Was this clean? It's definitely not in the movie. Yeah, I think clean. Just, just for the record, I think when I say this is a clean podcast, I mean we don't. Like make sexual jokes or swear and right. stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah, cut my question. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure that that happens because no. she talk, he gets injured. Like it's after um, I don't remember which injury it is, but anyway, I don't want to get stuck on that. But yeah, part of the reason that I that I mentioned that that I mm-hmm. brought that stuff up is I think it is indicative of the fact that so many of the people who've been through the games and these are the the victors that they're mm-hmm. chosen from um, understand themselves to simply be um, objects, pieces of meat. They're they're objects. Yes, yeah. they're definitely well, I mean, they've been objectified, and so it just doesn't seem to matter anymore. In the, in the following, following book, when um, uh, Finnick is talking, like he does a a propo, he does mention he literally uses the words. President Snow used to sell me. And so there's, it's indicated later on that a lot of victors, although they technically live in extraordinary wealth and all this stuff, that in reality they were kind of prostituted in a way after winning. They always belonged to the Capitol. That's a great way to say it. And I think one, going back to the different people, however, being naked, I think (laughs) one of the things they, one way they utilize that in the second movie is, they made jokes of things to uh, the, the second movie was a lot lighter. I felt like as far as little bits of comic relief in yeah. it than the first one, I, I don't know how much more, I don't know how much comic relief you could really put in the first one Sure, and it'd be believable. The theme but was the darker, second but one lightened make, up. I think it yes. might've lightened up because all of the characters 
were more similar to Hamish, right? Where they knew, yes. yeah, there's no getting out of this, so might as well, yeah, have some fun, have some fun while yeah. we're being friends. says that kind of like, like when he's t- giving her the sugar cube thing. And the the scene, the the way the four of them played the scene in the elevator with Joanna, their chemistry was so great there. I laugh a lot. I laugh a lot every time I see that scene. She is the yes. perfect cast for Joanna Mason. Yes. Like, it is so funny. Okay, another fun little trivia fact about that scene. Joanna Mason, who's played by Jenna Malone, they had to film that scene in a hotel with a glass window in the elevator in a real hotel with people actually staying and working there. So they did not, like get the whole hotel empty to do all the filming. So she had to strip down. So there was an interview with MTV where she said something like, I had to leave one thing on. So we, I don't know if that's, you know, what it was. It doesn't matter. But she was naked, like at least from the waist up from what we could see. And so they, she did the scene stripped down and they tried to do it as few times as possible. I don't know if they only filmed it once or if it was multiple times. And so she walks out of the elevator and she shared this on an interview, turns to one side and immediately sees this guy driving a coffee cart. And she's like, I was just stark naked. And so I just laughed and walked past him because I didn't know what else to do. (laughs) She, she seems to have taken it like a champ, but, uh, boy, that seems like ill pre- preparation on the part of the production. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um, but the, in all of those situations, those and like the one where, um, oh, it's Hamish's friend and he says, nah, be careful. He'll drink all your liquor. Yeah, chaff. And he, ki- chaff, he kisses her. The, all of those little pieces uh, with the sugar cube and then Joanna then Chaff and Cedar, all of those exchanges drive home the point that of Peter's joke to her. We weren't making fun of you. You're just so pure. Yeah. She has this self-deprecation thing that goes on. And I think trying to pull that out of her, I thought that was very useful because you, you keep realizing, oh, that's right. Katniss, she hasn't had time to be bad. She's been trying to... Yeah, help her family is, survive. Since she was she's, a young teenager, she's yeah. been helping her family to survive. Yeah. yeah. And it's taken everything to do that. J-Law played it really well, too. In the elevator, yes. she really looked, like, annoyed, but, like, also confused as to why no one else was as annoyed as her. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it was just such a shock. Hey, what about the they trained in the book? I hated that they, they left this out. out. Okay. That was, and that they did not. I'm so glad you said it. That was going to be. Well, that was my weird thing that they left out. That was so cool. It's so logical and helpful, and such an interesting look into other people, especially when they are they watch videos of past victors, right? Yes. Yes. They they examine their their opponents. Yeah, which was Peta's idea, and he had to request the videos from Effie. They requested videos of all uh, living victors' previous games. He had a notebook, like a binder that he used to keep notes of everything. They were so prepared. And I think one of the things that it also takes out, which I think is just a character development miss, which I understand why. Again, it's like this movie, like I said, was the longest runtime. It was already very long. But... Hamish, at the beginning of this whole thing, when they find out what the quell is, Peta throws away Hamish's liquor, and Hamish literally has to sober up, which took 
a little while, they describe. And then they, yeah, he went through all of his withdrawal. Then they start training. And when he starts training, she mentions like he couldn't throw a knife to hit the side of a house the first couple of weeks. And so Hamish goes through this like process. They fatten up, they eat more food, make sure they're like ready to be able, they have a little bit more fat for their body to feed on when they get starving and all this stuff. And even when they're on the train and they know that PETA is going to be in the arena, not Hamish in the book, it's also mentioned that like Effie ordered wine with her dinner, but because she saw Hamish not drinking, she asked the waiter to take it back. And so Hamish literally sobers for over half a year into when they get to the games, which I think like the idea that he became that person from the the guy he started at, which in the books fell off the stage drunk during the first reaping. I don't know if you remember that. They cut it from the movie. But like to go from that to a man who would give up his vice with essentially, I mean, it's not like they had rehab. So essentially with no help other than them saying you can't drink anymore, he'd give up his vice and then stay off of it just to help these two kids that he loves at this point so much, man, that was like powerful to me in the books. There was also a point and maybe that's why they just took this chunk out. I don't know, but another reason there's also a point where, They'd watched all the others, and Peta had been studying them. Katniss wakes up. She can't sleep. She comes out. She's like, what are you watching? And the only one they hadn't seen was Hamish's games. And he said, I just didn't know if it would be awkward or or weird for him. And, and they knew so he'd I haven't be on their side. Them. And so they sit down and start watching them, and they see the reaping, and they see Katniss's mother and Madge's mom. Yeah. And Madge's twin sister, or her mom's twin sister, and realize Katniss is like, oh my God, that's my mom. And they see, yeah. you know, these different things happen, and then see Hamage team up with the 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 other Maisley, with Maisley for a little bit, and then make the choice, you know, should we stay together? And he realized, no, we can't. And, and all those things. And it is how it led him to win the games. But remember, similar to what Katniss did with Rue in that yeah. in that portrayal of um, the second quarter quell that Hamish won, Maisley and he split. And very shortly after, he hears her scream, which he could ignore fairly because they've split up. But he goes back to her and he holds her as she dies, which is, again, something that not a lot of people did. Yes, But they also, I don't know if you're going to say this, but like the whole... Thing that they kind of come to the conclusion of in the book is that Hamish himself was kind of a rebel because he used the force field in his games as a way to kill the, I think the person that he threw a yes. weapon and the last person he was fighting, the weapon came up and killed that last kid. That was the only person left. And they didn't want the force field to be part of the games, like around the edge of the arena. And so they recount like they've never seen his games on TV and how weird that is because they have replays of Hunger Games all the time. So it was definitely a weird. They also cut that, but then also used the force field of the arena as a weapon or like to cook nuts and like different things in the movie and in the book. But in the movie, you don't really like there's not this connection of like they learned that that could happen because of Hamish's games. Mm. Right. Yeah. There's a lot they had to leave out from the second book because they left out the beginning of the story in the first book. Yeah. When, when they dropped some of those characters and some of those storylines, you know, the pen and all of, all of the stuff, all the significance with that, they had to drop that from subsequent 
storylines as well. Even though it's a very, very deep and interesting and broad part. Here's something I think I'm okay with them cutting from the movie. Uh, there's a little more Avox stuff left out uh, from yeah. the book to movie again. Okay, so maybe I'm dumb. In the books, by the third book, do the Avoxes have a big payoff? Is there any plot point where it's like, oh, I'm, oh, the Avoxes are so important, or is it just kind of a background thing about the capital's oppression? It's, I don't it's more, it's more background. I would say the closest thing to payoff you get is knowing, and this isn't a payoff, but the the only resolution is in. We don't know in the first book if her if Katniss's Avox was chosen on purpose or if it was totally by mistake because she doesn't know that anyone ever saw her see the girl be taken away. In the second, Hamish and Katniss are both very friendly with Darius, one of the peacekeepers that gets replaced because he tries to protect Gale when Gale like in, interrupts the peacekeepers when he gets whipped. And so the everyone from District 12 knew him, but specifically the two, Katniss and Hamish, knew him well. And so he was placed there to essentially torture them mentally. So, I mean, it's not a payoff, but it's just kind of a, it's a way to, like you said, underline yeah. their control. I think it's okay to have it in the book, especially because it, it only takes a few sentences and in the grand scheme of things, that's notch. But to ha- to dedicate, to to grind the movie to a halt I think it would have been too much to really go into all the Avox stuff. I think that's a, a good change. So it wouldn't it wouldn't come to a satisfactory ending for them. It's yeah. just there. It adds interest in the book. I agree. It adds interest in the book, but I think adding it to the movie would have just wasted time. Um, I think it was more... It felt like it was missing more in the first film because that kind of that was one of the things that actually showed that Katniss knew that like people did run away from their districts and the, the capital would capture them. Like there was just something in it that kind of developed a little more world building stuff versus, Oh, president snow is a really mean guy. You know, in the second movie, it was kind of, that was the only thing you missed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about this? I don't know if I like this or not. Okay. Katniss went at the reaping in the second movie gives the hand signal that's the three finger salute right Mm -hmm. which is not in the books that is not in the books which i think it was very much it was very clear in the book that katniss and Peeta had no intention of an uprising or rebellion outside of the one time she thought about trying to ask people to run away or to like do an uprising shortly after that when the peacekeepers took over but like by this time they, like, neither of them wanted to be a face of anything. Obviously, we talked about that. But, like, it was, I think in the books, if it had happened, that you would have seen something similar to what happened in Eleven when someone raised their hand as Katniss honored Rue. And so I think that, like, it it didn't feel consistent but like I understand why they did it. It's kind of for a trailer. Yeah, it makes more sense in the trailer. But yeah, it, did, it didn't feel consistent with the other experiences. I think that Cass's character is so strong as the uh, put upon, I don't want to be in charge of any sort of rebellion. I just want to live my life, take care of my sister and mother. Um, but I, and I think that her, it's almost like open rebellion. And yeah, I yeah. do. I think there's an, a consistency problem with it not immediately sparking a riot in District 12. I mean, they she shot does that. a man in, in the head. 
like when he did it in district 11. But, but in the case of, of any hero, Harry Potter, John McClane, Katniss Everdeen, they don't want anybody else to be around them because they don't get hurt. They might get hurt. And they're so driven to solely save the world. That character pops up in so many, you know, in literature yeah. everywhere. Common trope. That 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 trope, yeah. It, it, it's weird. It, I mean, I, I say that. It's noble, but so few people, I think, really have that part of them. I think there are people out there like that. But it's just not in our everyday nature. Do we want people to get hurt? No. Do we want to protect the ones around us, the ones we love? Yes. But they have these characters. It stretches beyond that. It's everybody that it even it even ends up people they don't know, people they're not comfortable with, whatever. They still want to try to save somehow. And I yeah. think getting a lot of the stuff in her head that you get from the books that's so so clear they do i think they do a decent job in the movie of of you seeing it but i, I, think, I think in the movie they take they take the tack of really pitting katniss against president snow that yeah. they they make that um that conflict very vivid mm. when in the book Snow is coming after her when she would really just like to fade into the background. If you just let me fade into the background and leave my family alone, I would be good with that. Yeah, either either fade into the background or she says to him in that same conversation, why don't you just kill me now? Yeah. And it was an honest, like, it's an honest question. Wow. Hey, uh... Do we have any opinions <laughs> on the following Four, changes? I could pretty well guarantee. Okay. Uh, there were more kisses in the movie. I f- okay, I have such... I'm going to talk about this. I'm, I'm, I have a very strong opinion. Okay. In the movie... Okay, well, okay. Sorry, I'm trying to think about how I want to say this. Yeah, I was to go through a list of what I thought was lightning around, but I'm I'm so glad you have Yes, that. this is one I wanted to talk about. I will just tell you, my now 17-year-old son was watching the movie with us when Katniss goes back and forth and she kisses Gail and then she kisses Gail again, but then it's like she's kissing Peta and then now she's kissing Gail. And we were watching all the movies together. I'm not going to repeat the word that he said, but he said, is she a, and said a word that suggests that she is not particularly faithful to one person. I don't think that that was, I think that his perception is what happened in the movie because they added more with Gail where Katniss went out of her way to be romantically affectionate to him, but then went back to PETA. In the book, there's just this internal struggle a lot. And obviously she does kiss PETA, but she mentions at the beginning of Catching Fire that two weeks or something after they got back from the games, the first time she and Gail went out to hunt, Gail grabbed her by surprise and kissed her. And I think he said, I had to do that just once. And then they Mm -hmm. never talk about it again. So then it's not until he's whipped that she kisses him again. And in the book realizes he's the person she loves. He's the person she'd want to be with. Then 
when the Quell announcement happens, they've had no more romantic interaction whatsoever. The Quell announcement in the book happens. Then she's like, okay, well, I'm going to die. It doesn't matter. So they cut off all romance. Gail and Peta train together. Like Gail helps them train. Peta, she specifically says, Peta literally stops treating her in any way like he likes her. And then they go to the games and the next thing they have to do is act for the capital. But in the movie, they also add in this extra scene where she kisses Gail again. And it just, honestly, I think it takes away from like her character's not integrity, but like, it just felt like too much. And it, it, I didn't like it. I think they were probably playing to the love triangle aspect primarily for those who just really love to see, Oh, is she going to choose him? Is she going to choose this other yeah. uh, and go but back I mean, and forth a, when the movie was a little less, less involved trope, with that. That's a trope in books too. And, and sure she didn't write it in there. Um, like there was a love triangle, but not in that way. I can see what you're saying. I can see why the filmmakers did that. Again, it's one of those things like for the trailers. I, I have recently learned the value of shipping. Uh, readers love to ship different characters together. And I do too. I will admit that. I actually wanted Katniss, when I was reading the books, like before I had finished them, I wanted Katniss to pick Gale. Like, overwhelmingly i knew Peta was like quote unquote a better person like as she displays him but gail to me just seemed like a better match and so i was rooting for them honestly i just didn't like the way it was portrayed in the movie okay what about this plutarch who is played by philip seymour hoffman in the movie who i think gives plutarch kind of more gravitas than he might have had in the book philip, philip seymour hoffman's great yeah. he I agree. he gives less foreshadowing to Katniss before the quarter quell happens. Yeah, because at the party where Katniss and Peta get engaged, he shows her his watch with a Mockingjay symbol on it. He says it starts at midnight and then says that he has to go um, to a late-night planning session. That's what starts at midnight. That's his cover or whatever. In the movie, he calls her an inspiration. They dance, but, like, they... I felt like it was I maybe a bigger surprise that he ended up being part of the rebellion at that point. I did think it was an odd choice. I didn't hate it, but I liked in the book that like you could look back on that the second read through and go, oh, he was trying to like say that she had his support. I think it works for movies being a visual medium uh, because I just think it would be so obvious because you're not from Katniss's point of view anymore. Right. You, you have the camera that is directly showing the audience what Plutarch is is doing and saying and how he's saying it. Okay. Whereas in the book, Katniss is assuming like, oh, I don't know why he... Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. She's like, oh, I don't know why he's showing me any of this. Or she doesn't even think of anything of it because she's so oblivious. And She so, just hates him because of what he represents. Yeah. So she's kind of stuck on that. Makes but, sense. A lot of movies where uh, where the foreshadowing we we can really see it because we do we rewatch movies a lot we don't just watch it once and say yay I've watched it I'm done mm-hmm. we go back and watch it again and because we know what has happened we say that's where that started or that's where that started it's it's really a masterful thing to be able to include foreshadowing 
in a way that isn't obvious, that doesn't just kind of glare in your face in a movie, but when you watch it a second time, you're like, yes, that's where that, that's what that was, and that's why. Um, and I think maybe if they weren't as masterful at doing that, um, simply leaving it out, it's like, I don't know if we can do this subtly enough, yeah. so we just won't do it. Yeah. Um, one, and I know I want you to go through the rest of the smaller stuff. There was one plot thing that was taken out that I thought was weird, which was she doesn't run out into the woods when the wedding dresses arrive for her to try on. She doesn't in the movie run into the woods and meet Twill and Bonnie. So they had run away, um, from another district. I want to, it's the one that makes clothing. Um, but they had run away and they were trying to find district 13. And it's like the first mention of 13, uh, I believe in the books where it's kind of, it's more than just passing sentence. And I thought it was so interesting because they baked the Mockingjay into a piece of bread. And it was like a symbol of the fact that they were with her, even though she didn't even know what it meant and kind of up against the whole, you know, Plutarch and his watch. It was really, really interesting. And then later in Mockingjay, you know, she asks about Twill and Bonnie. And as far as they know, never made it there to 13. So we're assumed that, you know, to we're, we're to assume that they died or, or just didn't make it for some other reason. But I thought it was such an interesting thing that, like, that they cut. They also cut, you know, the whole wedding dress shoot was cut. The fact that the Capitol voted on a dress, like, they just kind of get to the interviews and Senna tells her Snow said she had to wear her wedding dress, and here it is. But she's seen it before in the books, you know? So that was one thing I thought was odd. At, at some point, I suppose the filmmakers have to say which parts of this push the plot forward yeah. and which parts are just window dressing. For uh, this particular plot point, the fandom website for Hunger Games says, without a source... But it says that the filmmakers did not want to spoil the ending of the movie. And I, I, I think what they mean by that is that they don't want to mention 13. 13. Interesting. That they wanted that to be a reveal for oh. the end of Catching Fire. Okay, mm-hmm. I can see that translating. In the, in the book, uh, you know, you have it takes longer to read a book for most people. I know you're a speed reader. But it takes most people longer to read a book. It's easier for them to forget things like that and then remember, oh, yeah, that thing. But when you're sitting down to watch a movie, I think... Which just a few minutes ago, that's a lot easier to remember. Yeah. Yeah, another thing you get from her and Plutarch in the movie, it just seems like it makes her more angry with him that they had this brief exchange. Right. Where because you see more depth of what's going on in the book. And I didn't understand why they didn't take a few seconds for him to point out something on his watch a little more clearly. You have to pick and choose what you put on the screen. And I can, I can appreciate that. And I think they did a good job. I really think they did a good job of of that. Yeah. I loved this movie. I'm not, it's not a big complaint. I just, I, I want everything to be seasons long television. Like a multi-season movie out of it. 
I mean, the, the best, best thing that I think I heard this year was that HBO Max is planning. Yes. You know this? A Harry Potter television show. They're doing it over full seasons. Like each book is a season. It's called Max. Oh, it's just called Max. I'm sorry. Max is doing this Harry Potter show. And I'm so excited. Like, yes. because I love the Harry Potter movies. We, I'm sure one day we'll review the book to movie adaptations, but that's the kind of thing that I want because like the tidbits for me that were missed, like I know they don't move the plot forward. I know that if they're in a movie, they just make it feel long, whatever. I get the point. I don't love it. Like it feels like a television show is a better way to adapt most books. If you have six to 12 hours to tell the story, you can include some of those little tidbits in it and make those connections, True. though they don't necessarily move the plot forward. But but it's a great cliffhanger for, you know, yeah. the next one and things like True. that. So, yeah, I could understand that. All right. Lightning round. More differences. Tell us. Well, of course, this is not the movie is not only from Katniss's point of view. So you get extra little scenes like Snow and his granddaughter. Love. You love yes. you see Gale in the in the mines, uh, looking at is it Katniss and Peeta getting engaged? Getting engaged. She's, She's like, like looking, looking upset. He doesn't, doesn't say anything. anything. Yeah, uh, Plutarch and Snow talking like kind of like Snow and Seneca. They talk a lot back and forth. I really liked that. Snow and Seneca had their cool. thing last the, movie. The payoff of that was cool too because at the very end of the movie when. Snow thinks Katniss is going to shoot Finnick and instead she shoots the force field. Snow gets mad and he calls out for Plutarch and Plutarch doesn't answer. And, and it's, it's like, like very powerful. Yes. That suddenly he realizes something happened. Talking to him all this time and didn't realize he disappeared. Yeah. There's not a lot outside of Katniss's perspective, which is one of the best things about the movies, I think, is that they're able to go outside Katniss's perspective. And we'll talk about it next episode, uh, I think everything that added in the next movie was basically good, but that'll be a spoiler. Uh, but that's kind of all the scenes they added outside of Katniss' perspective that we could think of. Uh, so did it seem like there were fewer things outside of her perspective this time, or more I, from, than the previous gosh. movie? I would say, like, fewer. Yeah, I think compared to the first one. Gotcha. Um, Snow's mouth does not bleed in the book, but it does in the movie. He coughs up a bit I of love, blood. I love that part. That's, That's one, one of my favorite Because I think, it, I think it makes a connection. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's for, what you love, it makes that a connection. No, no, I think it makes connection for later. <laughs> and it also caused me, um, before the Ballad of Songbirds, Songbirds and, and Snakes, snakes. Yeah. Um, just before we read anything about that, I wondered if... He was the one who created the games, and he's, you know, 100 years old because this is 75th one. Um, if he was mm -hmm. actually involved in creating the games, and he's not just old, he's enormously old yeah. uh, for them. It, that, that kind of started that thought process for yeah. me. What about Prim? I think this is a great translation where in the book... Katniss has inner monologue, I believe, mm -hmm. about Prim having healing capabilities. About she watches her take care of people alongside her mother and realizes how good she is. Yeah. Yes. Um, whereas there's a little extended scene in the movie with Prim helping uh, Mrs. Everdeen with, is it shaking hands? She's trying to get morphling out of a syringe and her hand won't stop shaking. Yes. Which is odd because in the books, like her mother's always very steady with patience. 
But you're right. It was a way to show this visual, inner monologue. A visual yeah. way to show it. But this, that. remember, like okay, going to be at the healer. point, and you wouldn't know if you didn't read the book, at the point that happened when they took Gail in the house is when Hamish says, new gamekeeper. And in the book, he they make some reference or some you mean inference, new, peace, new head peacekeeper. Yeah. Sorry, new head peacekeeper. They make some reference or a glance or something to suggest it's gonna. We're, it's 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 like it was. They remember and, how bad and it remember was. like it was was when she lost one of her best friends, and so it. I can see where, knowing that, I can see why she would shake. Not having read the book, you would just think her she's mom's just frail. nervous that she's frail, but yeah. really. She's not frail now. That that whole area, we haven't really touched on that at all. That Katniss, we touched on the fact that Katniss was frustrated with her mom and you can't leave Prim in the last book and you can't, and her mom says, you know, if I'd had medicine, if I'd had what I had before in the book, this wouldn't have happened. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I've got it. And, and she is stronger in the books. And I think that was just an arc. They didn't have time to, to cover sure. well enough. But her zoning out when her husband died, as opposed to being able to handle it with taking care of all sorts of people in all of their problems. Yes. Um, my mother was a nurse and uh, my mother did all sorts of things that I can't imagine people having to do day in and day out mm-hmm. uh, and deal with certain kinds of things. But when my sister um, fell and clipped off the tip of her finger and she bled a lot. My mother completely froze because it was somebody Mm -hmm. that she was so close to. Um, She completely froze and my dad had to take care of it. Um, And so I, I see a little bit of that um, with a caregiver that's used to maybe separating themselves from it and just being able to do what needs to be done at the moment. I've even done that myself, uh, been able to deal with some things, but when, uh, when our daughter, you know, turned was running and turned and hit a tree and was bleeding on her face, <laughs> it was a tiny pinprick, lots of blood, yeah. and I had, had I had blood running down my face. Yeah. It looked like a horror movie. We will actually talk about The Shining at one point, and apparently, it was very like a la The Shining. But I had taken care of teenagers, you know. One teenager came to me once and said, hey, I had these stitches done and they popped out. And so I had to take care of them and just did it. It wasn't. Well, it, when it's the closest yeah. people. Yeah. So there is there is something to that whole plot line because when I first saw that, I thought, how could she be so frozen in this moment and so calm and cool and, and effective in this moment? But then I thought, that's my mom. And I've experienced some of that myself as well. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> I love that. I go down memory lane, too, in some of these things. I think one of the biggest differences, we already talked about the training, so much of the training being cut. I think that a lot of District 12's subjugation was cut for the film. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that narratively it serves... Main its main purpose is a red herring for what this book slash movie is about. That's fair. While the audience still doesn't realize that a whole new Hunger Games is going to happen, what the quarter quill is about, 
the District 12 subjugation feels like a setup for the beginning of Katniss leading a rebellion. Yeah, the, my first read-through, that's what I assumed was going to happen yeah. at this point. The book really wants us to to understand the depression and oppression mm-hmm. um, and really pushes that yeah. uh, where the movie probably decided enough is enough. We need to get to the... Again, it doesn't move the plot forward to, right. to stick on it too long. I thought it was interesting that, and I mean, this might have been just a shooting thing that the setting didn't allow for it or budget, I don't know. But um, in the book, there's a three-day snowstorm that starts the day that Gail is whipped and the new peacekeeper comes in and all this stuff. And so Katniss spends three days. She said she sent Pete home. Their homes are literally like 50 feet apart. And she calls him on the little phones that they have between their homes to make sure he makes it home. Okay. That's how bad the snowstorm was. And so they're basically trapped in their homes for three days. And in that three days, the entire new peacekeeping force has put up stocks in the center in front of the justice building. And they've burned down the hob, which in the book happens in the background and all these other things happen. And then obviously that leads into just so much horrible subjugation. It was not like it's hard to read it's things like that are difficult for me to watch I I struggle you know we've you know whether it's John Wick or John McClane or Rocky or any of those kinds of things I there's a point at which I say okay enough is enough because one of the tropes is that the hero has to be battered down to this point where they almost lose right. and then they begin to rise again the um, the almost lose I, I it gets to a point for me a lot where it's like okay enough is enough it feels off you know yeah darkest hour yeah I'll, I'll, yeah 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 well it is a movie but i'm talking about the the trope it, 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 it oh, is every story the, the it hero is, it a lot yeah, their lowest low. Well, that that feeling of satisfaction that that they conquered this is supposed to be greater because of the depth of of how dark it got. But for me, as a watcher, as a viewer, um, I, there's only so much of that I can take before yeah. I have to kind of disengage from it. The hopelessness can get really overwhelming. Yeah. So you have another aspect. I love, I love hopelessness. <laughs> There's in, another in film and books. <laughs> I yeah, we yeah. don't okay, I just want to okay. So you have another aspect that's shown in, in contrast between Katniss and Gail where Gail is like I want to fight. I want to put this together. I will he- I will head it up. Go I'm, I'm ready. And, yeah. Katniss is the other side. I don't want to do this. I just want to go back to what we were doing. And of course, that's repulsive to him. What are we doing? We're slaves. He's offended offended by this. But then you realize in a bigger scale, she sees District 8 on the television when she goes by the the door there on the train at one point. She she's sees in the book. She's in the book. She's at the party at the mayor's house. Cause she's at Madge's house. It's playing on the mayor's television. And that's why it's playing. She's not supposed to see it, right. but it's only but from the, there. Yeah. But in the, in the movie, movie, it's on the train. It's on the train. She sees it. She sees the people fighting and it's intriguing to her, but frightening. And then the end of the whole, the, the end of that or the, well, not the end it's ongoing, but, one of the outcomes is 
they realized that the people in District 8 are ready. They were there. They put it together. They they wanted to stand up. Mm-hmm. The people in District 12 weren't there yet. And yeah. one of the differences was the peacekeepers in District 12 had been pretty tolerant of the people yep. where when they went into Ruse District and when they went into a couple of other places, it was much more militant and, and much right. more hardcore on the people but where they had gotten into this life of the peacekeepers were happy to trade at the hob and oh, they, yeah, they were some you, of their best customers yeah, for the fresh meat even even old cray being kind of perverted mm-hmm. with some of the young girls and but he would give people passes on on punishments and things right. and what did it do it caused them to accept this new normal Mm-hmm. That's really that was really horrible. It was less obvious how enslaved in some ways they were, yeah. because it was like just good enough. And that's one of those huge principles that I. It's probably one of the reasons I love the the trilogy so much. It's one of those huge principles that you realize we're we're our nature. If we're pushed, we will respond away. If we're not pushed, and we're we're. Comfortable. Comfortable. Just comfortable enough. We'll live in the comfort. Yeah. But if we're but if we're pushed, we find that there's that that inner fight, that inner drive. This could be better. And and I think I, I'm that fascinates me all the way through this because it's handled so I think it's handled so well. Just to uh, finish out the lightning round before I guess we'll give our <laughs> verdicts. Uh, Effie oh, we is. Have, we have things to talk about. Oh yes, uh, Effie's in the movie a little more than she is in the book a little bit, and I'm always a fan of more yes. Effie. Yeah. Peter yes. can swim in the movie, whereas he specifically can't in the books. Probably in the movie, partly because not only did he have no occasion to swim, Katniss mentions she learned with her father out in the woods. He took her to a lake out in the woods, but in the books, he also has a prosthetic leg, which would me- make it even harder. Yeah. The sequences where Katniss is, is Katniss is kind of learning about the weaknesses in the force field is portrayed a little differently in the film, just mm-hmm. to make it more for a, a visual medium instead mm-hmm. of a book. And the acid smoke in the arena does some different stuff. That was that would have been hard to communicate, I think, in the visual medium. But in the book, the acid does not only give them these awful, painful boils; it also causes like nerve disruption. And so they, the reason that Mags has yeah. to essentially sacrifice herself so that. Um, Finnick can carry Peter down oh, the hill. Poor is, Mags. It is so sad. Oh. Um, but the reason that happens is number one, Peter has a prosthetic leg, but number two, because he can't run as fast, he'd gotten hit with more smoke and his legs literally stopped working. Like he could not physically run anymore. Um, which I just think is an interesting, I get why they changed it though. I don't think we have time, but I would like, I kind of want all of us to say, who our favorite new character is in this movie and book. I think mine's Finnick. Yeah. Like he's just, he charms me. I like who he ends up being too. I love characters that grab your heart and just do it without a whole lot of stuff. Mags is that (gasps) for me. That was going to be. She never spoke a word. 
all of it had to be translated, but there's something, the look on her face and all of those things, you, you really believed that she was this amazing woman. Yeah. That was yeah. going to be my surprise answer, but you oh, stole sorry. it. I love, <laughs> I really like how, Ma- how Mags, Megs, how Mags is in the book and in the movie uh, portrayed through without words, and it's just so lovely and pitiful, and you, your heart breaks for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mine would be some of the tributes that you only get bits and pieces of them. You see a cameo, no more than a cameo, really. But you begin to pick up what damage different people have suffered and what it's made them. The Morphlings, the girl that filed her teeth to sharp points. Uh, And then you see more of Joanna, you see more of Fennec, but Chaff and Cedar, and you, you... uh, you just get glimpses of how all these different people were affected and they can't fully explore it. I understand that, right. but so I think that's interesting. Correct. That's even, right. Even at the quarter quell. He yes. Was, hmm. And that would have been no district 11 cause he was right beside Katniss. And then, um, <clears throat> I don't know how we haven't already said this, but maybe I'll have to throw it. I can't let us go by until I say it. I said in the previous episode, I'm not a mushy love story, gushy person. Um, I think they're wonderful and I think they can add a lot, but the scene on the, the scene in the water when Peter and Katniss sit down and he's trying to tell her with, she has people that need her. He has no one. He can, he's dispensable. There's no one that needs him. That's right. And, and then, then when she says, oh. what about me? She says, I need you. I need you. Oh, my gosh. I hate myself right oh, now. I cried. Uh, I can't Even the get, last time I listened to it, the I book. can't get through the scene. And that's one of those places where I'm reminded Josh, Gail and Katniss could not have had that conversation. Right. It it, it had to be, it had to be a PETA person that that kind of it had to be that it Peter had to be Brand. someone with more, yeah. <laughs> yeah the gentle like yeah because he yeah. his life because that's what they built his life as where Gail's a little too much like Katniss they're both caught they're both keeping their families alive because yeah. both their dads died in the same you know that kind of thing. There's too much similarity there but that whole scene putting that together it it advances. You already you've already seen that Katniss is invested in Peter. Her heart's invested in him. You've yeah. already seen it at this point. But to see her have this moment of this isn't planned. And I think in the book she makes a comment where she knows they finished for the cameras. Yeah. She's still trying to kind of convince herself that there's a lot of acting going on. But but you feel this, this she, realness. In the book, she specifically says that it was the second time yes. that kissing Peta made her feel something. Like, yeah. where it sparked something that was beyond just acting or beyond yeah. just friendship. So, And to your point earlier, she never had that with Gail. Mm-hmm. The closest she ever she got, didn't. the closest she ever got was noticing his lips were warmer and they had a 
a smoky, like a wood, well, you know. The close, a, I think the closest moment was when she kissed Gail after his whipping. But again, they do make a thing. One of her flaws is that she's drawn to the either of them. Like as, once they basically all, you know, she gets to know Peta and she's close to him and he's not a stranger. She's drawn to the one that she feels like is in more need as if she's trying to fulfill something for them, not necessarily sister and been taking care right. of her mother she's, and she's had to be the father and the mother of, of the household it's not, take a, flaw. Care of yeah. Yeah, it's not a flaw that she yeah. ta- has to take care of people but because of that being so big a part of her life she lets it become kind of a flaw that she doesn't just say like if i'm gonna love someone i want to pick someone to love or if i want to love someone i want to pick the one that's right for me or whatever she doesn't want to choose because they go back and forth between who's hurt the worst so all right, what's next? Um, I wanted to talk about a couple random things, basic just trivia things about the movie and the books. This was the highest grossing one. This was the highest grossing movie worldwide of the four. Uh, do you know, it guess was, the order. It was higher grossing. worldwide than U.S., which, yes. I, which I found interesting. Because you Cause, noted that yesterday. yesterday. Because the last one was not. Uh, it didn't hit the American number, but this it one wasn't even, stayed. yeah, I think it was like, it wasn't even half it was it. half. Oh yeah. Close. But so yeah, this was highest grossing. If you had to order them without looking, um, what order do the next films come? Like what's the next highest grossing? I would have to say that the, that the last movie had to be the high, the highest, the next highest. If this okay. was the highest, the next, the last one, the conclusion had to be, Okay. Anybody else have a guess? Mm. I think I gave my guess last r- round, last episode, but I'll give it again after Mom. Well, we talked. That was when we talked about Rotten Tomatoes ratings, oh, okay. because the Rotten Tomatoes was it's uh, two, one, three, four, from highest to lowest. Oh. I don't know. I think I almost don't know how four could be less than three, because three leaves you in a, it. Mm-hmm. It, you can't. Who? I would love to know the number of people that didn't go back and see four. How could you leave him thrashing in that bed? I don't really care. Yeah, how <laughs> yeah, can you leave him thrashing in the bed and her standing there watching him? Mm-hmm. How do you not at least, even if you hate it by that point, how do you not go back and at least see how it can concludes? Two, one, four, three. Correct answer is two, then three, which is Mockingjay Part One. Mm-hmm. Then one, then four. The four four made the, the least worldwide of all four movies. The conclusion. The conclusion, which is fascinating wow. to me. It was it was it's a under dark ending. it was under number one. It is a dark by ending. like thirty thousand or thirty million dollars. Wow. It was like six ninety something for the first Hunger Games. The very last one was six fifty something. I think. Wow. I mean, spoiler alert for the third mm-hmm. one, but tops eight sixty. I think. The assassination of President Coyne and the death of Prim are tough pills to swallow yeah. for casual audiences. It gets darker the longer it goes. So, um, Oh, go ahead, sir. No. I was just going to say uh, this, like I said yesterday, sorry, in our last episode, um, spoiler, we recorded these in a batch, um, but 
The first movie had the second highest Rotten Tomatoes score. This one has the highest. This is actually a 90% with an 89% audience rating from Flickster, which I thought was really interesting. Honestly, re-watching them, I agree. This was the movie that, like, the whole time I am glued to the screen. And I had read the book. Like, it wasn't just glued to the screen because I needed to know what happened next. I thought a lot of what they did was just really excellent. And I noticed watching the later movies how some things drag or just some of the story becomes a little less engaging. So I I loved it. Um, I also, one of the things that I like to find out about like I was re-listening to the audiobook, and I really like that the books define the other quarter quells because the quells are these special ones. And just interestingly, the one Hamish was in, I think we already may have mentioned this, but that quarter quell required them to reap double the number of tributes. And so there were four tributes per district rather than two. Does anybody remember what the first quarter quell was? Nope. Oh, I do not. I just read it today. Oh. It's very brutal. The districts had to vote Vote. for the tributes that go. So they had to pick the children that went to die. Yeah. Which is brutal. You know anything else interesting that went on during the filming or anything? The water was cold. Yes. Which is weird because they're... Tropical environment. They're in a tropical arena. And a lot of it was filmed in Hawaii. Yeah, but not the parts in the water. Like in oh, the, the water the parts in the forest. Was that the part filmed in New Jersey? <laughs> I, it might, well, no. So part of it was in um, the Atlanta. There was a water park that they did some of them in. And uh, the water was cold enough. It was around 50 Fahrenheit, which is uh, just a little over 10 degrees Celsius. And so Lynn Cohen, the actress who did Mags, was actually forbidden by the director from getting in the water because he was afraid for her safety. So first off scene... And I think the first take, um, Finnick's character, Sam Claflin, or Finnick, Sam Claflin was the actor. Uh, he picks up the actress on his back and they're doing the scene where they're running out of the water. He immediately trips and falls and drops her in the water, which apparently like he laughed, he thought it was terrible, but she laughed and, and said it was funny. She had, she was very good natured about it. Another good trooper. Well, I'm glad that the onset <laughs> seems like there were good spirits. Uh, This movie also saw a change in director. So the original director of the first Hunger Games, the only one he directed was the first movie. He has now directed the other three movies and I believe is the director for Songbirds and Snakes. So he didn't direct the first one, but he did direct the rest of them? Right. Interesting. Yes. So Uh, Lawrence. Was that his name is also Lawrence? His last name is Lawrence, but he's not related to Jennifer Lawrence. Was Was that a... A conflict with Suzanne Collins? No, the original... Do you know this? Sorry, I don't... Oh, well, I assume that they say scheduling conflicts, but it was probably the shaky cam. They asked him to direct the second movie, and he refused. Like, he declined. Apparently, the director himself was the one who said no. Hmm. I mean, that's public... Sounds like, sometimes, sounds like a propo to me. But you wonder sometimes if, if people don't realize what they're what they're passing up on. Eh, I did that. I've already done that yeah. thing. You know, it's not complete. Like it was but a success. It, it yeah. wasn't small, but I mean, it doesn't mean you loved doing it or had vision to do the rest. Um, the new director, what was his first name? Can you look that up? The new director, Francis, isn't it? Right. Fran- Francis. Francis Lawrence. Francis Lawrence. Is that right? So he, uh, 
basically consulted with Suzanne Collins while writing the screenplay of the second movie when he, you know, was slated to direct, asked her if there was anything that she wanted to change that was like portrayed in a way she didn't like. And does anyone know what she requested that was really her only primary request? It's very small. <gasps> oh, I think I, I do. <laughs> Dad. Meow. Yes, it was, it was yeah. the cat. Buttercup was Buttercup the wrong. Shouldn't have been black and white. Yeah, she was yeah. wrong color in the first movie, and so I guess if you're paying close attention to the movies but didn't read the book, you might not even realize it's the same cat. Because I don't know if they like call him Buttercup explicitly, like in one movie and the next. But yeah, they changed it to a, a an orange tabby ish cat uh, for the second movie, and that was the, I don't think it was the same cat that was used in all of the rest of the movies, but the same, like, visual of the cat was changed. Well, I'm so glad they kept that ugly cat. I mean, he is kind of scruffy and ugly looking. That's the point. Which is great. I'm glad, but I'm glad they kept him because he's so pivotal, and we won't spoil that far ahead, but he's so pivotal at the end that I mean, um, I heard he said died. I'm just like, I, and I did. That's another thing I didn't see coming. You know, it's not a huge surprise. Oh wow! But another thing I didn't see coming is the way he was used and and wrapped things. So, but anyway, yeah. um, one the only other thing I thought was just really interesting and wanted to mention was uh, this in this movie, and I believe they did it starting with Catching Fire, and there were some parts of the others that did this, maybe. But the arena scenes were filmed with IMAX cameras for Catching Fire. So if you're watching the movie, the aspect ratio changes when they enter the arena. Wow. I've never actually noticed I, that. I, I like, I'll, I'll it caught my it eye. The last time I watched Catching Fire was just a few days ago. It caught my eye when it switched, and I thought, oh, it's probably just me. And then I was, like, doing research, and I found that they actually, they filmed specific scenes, like the ones in the arena were filmed with IMAX cameras, and that it really does change, which I thought was really fascinating. Now that you say that, I, I feel it in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> It was one fascinating. Of the, one of the things that I, I like this kind of just little things that people do that are subtle, um, but they're probably very purposeful. Uh, I was looking at the covers of the books, and the first book is a black cover. Mm -hmm. uh, the second book is kind of a rusty, a rusty color, but lighter. Deep red, yeah. Yeah, but a lighter color than than the other. And then the last book is blue. Now in the movies, they uh, there was a I can't remember which which of the last two movies they used a lot of white in the posters and things like that. That was the, the Mockingjay part. Yeah, the, one. the covers and the movie posters. I think there there's a subtle um, dark depression. It gets a little better and it and it continues to get a little better because as the movie goes toward its climax, you know you've gone from this horrible depression. There has been a rebellion, and things are going to change. The blue sky on on the last cover, uh, and the white yeah. in the movie posters as well, uh, kind of speak of of a hope. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm left with at the end of the last book, uh, and I, I love the ending of the last book sure. even more than the than the movie. Um, but there's just there's just a hopefulness. It's a guarded hopefulness because you can't simply negate all the there's things that have happened yeah, before that. Yeah, there's a lot that happens you know, to get there. Yeah, you, it's you almost take like, all that past with you, but there's still a hope. It's almost like as the world 
is offered the opportunity to hope again. Yeah. Like at that same time, the people primarily responsible for like bringing that into motion, they're the ones that like it's taken from, you know, like Katniss's hope was I'll get older and I won't have a family, but like, I'll be okay. And so like, while she's given a lot of those opportunities, like what ends up happening in the books is she's traumatized over and over and over and over and so, yeah. In reading the history of, like, the American Revolution and other things like that, uh, a lot of times the things that the, the people had to go through were terrible, but what came out of it was a hopefulness. Right. Uh, and so even uh, reading some of the biographies of, of early leaders, those, yeah. those who saw some of the things, who witnessed some of what happened, and even some of the earliest heroes who gave their life uh, in those kinds of things, in different kinds of struggles. You read that you know, through the Civil War, through the Underground Railroad, and different kinds of things like that. In order to bring hope, somebody uh, goes through that terrible time, but hope is part of the result. Yeah. So you mentioned something there about um, hope. Oh, why didn't I just say it out loud? I should have spoken out. Um, there is a, a a part in when uh, in the book. It was not in the movie. The part where she mentions the girl she met, and that then they captured the girl out in the woods. The AVOX. That became her AVOX. From the first book. That suggests, and we haven't haven't touched on this at all, that suggests that they knew Katniss saw the girl when they picked her up in the woods, and they used the girl against her. And that we we know know they did Darius. Okay, we we got that part. we know about President Snow, the more we look back and say, oh, uh, he probably knew exactly. And we yeah. get hints that it's not unlikely. It, it's very likely, actually, that at some, in some situations, in some districts, the people are already pre-chosen. Maybe not every time, but in some, in some situations. And I well, can't remember now where this comes up. She mentions it because Victor's children, she said something about how oh, they're they were not talking exempted. about kids. And Victor's children still have to enter the reaping. And she said they end up in the games more often than is like statistically reasonable. Or yes. something like that. And so when you think that is a level of depravity and torture and madness on the part of the president that, yeah. that, Collins captures really well as she goes through these. You just every time you you think that that's his lowest moment. There's something else. There's something else, and I'm really hoping that they'll get there in Songbird. That they'll that they'll really show us. I'm hoping so. Hoping yeah that they'll really show us that how that began or or the at least the seeds or, or yeah. whatever. So something I wanted to do uh, for this episode was because they went on the victory tour and you get to meet tributes from so many other districts. I wanted to talk about some of the stuff I was like contemplating reading in terms of how Panem is made up, where things are. Um, because at first I actually had this conversation with Josh. I had forgotten that they mentioned early in the first book that this is in the remains of what was once North America. Okay. So we know it's a dystopian future, but in a way we were talking through this. And the first idea we had was, is this just on a completely different planet, planet for lack of a better word? Like Lord of the Rings is not on earth, right? Like 
it, Middle and, Earth is different. Exactly. And so um, I think it's really interesting, first of all, before we get into the districts, to think about if Panama is, is on North America, which most maps that people have tried to come up with span from Canada all the way down through some of Mexico, um, if that's the case, it is really weird to me that there's never a mention of, like, leftover roads or, like, anything about the huge metropolis, metropolis, metropolitan, that's the word I'm looking for. There's no mention of the huge metropolitan areas that are currently in the United States, like, Toronto, New York, LA, like these are massive cities. And it's interesting to me that there's literally never mention of any like leftover anything. This dystopian future might, might be, and the, the reason for that might be the fact that uh, it was a, a nuclear type event. Uh, that was something that, Josh's brother mentioned could that be part destroyed of it. those uh, metropolitan centers um, and cut them off from the world. Yeah. Um, because there's no mention in the books of any world outside of Pan Am at all. Right. You're basically left to think that either they've done a really great job of making it clear that there's nobody else and they're like hiding it, or this is literally the only thing that's left after wars or whatever she mentioned they mentioned i think katniss specifically mentions that they were taught it was like wars and famine um were what caused the world to end but i just think it's interesting because like we were driving out the other day we were driving from our home in east tennessee up to ohio to visit my husband's family and basically i was just we were just kind of out in the middle of an interstate that's kind of in the middle of nowhere there's no reason to bomb something around that but it made me realize they mentioned like roads that you walk down but in panem there's no mention of cars like they Correct. ride horse drawn carriages even in the capital to show off what they're doing um but and there's hovercraft but there's never mention of like a vehicle now in, in the, the movies train. there are the train is that kind of a vehicle that would go on tracks, but there's never, I don't know. It just like struck me as odd, but maybe again, it's well, unnecessary. Personal freedom is equated with something like a vehicle. The hovercraft would be a military thing owned by like the we military or the government. Yeah. Right. So not having, not having vehicles would be a restriction of personal freedom. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Very interesting point. So the capital in general, can everybody see the map that I, like one of the ones I pulled or if you can turn that around and show her. So this was just one of them. A lot of the maps look very similar to this if they're not exactly the same. Essentially the capital is described as being up uh, probably around the Denver-ish area somewhere in Colorado. It is, it's well protected. So it's in the middle of a lot of mountains, kind of in a basin area. Um, the map that we're looking at shows districts one and two, kind of one to the north, two to the south. Um, and it shows district four over in what would essentially be mostly California. I did see something that said, especially because of the way they talk about the ocean part Part of it that District Four would be more likely to have, like, be around where San Francisco and kind of, kind of the really the most beautiful parts of the ocean on the the west coast of the United States. Um, District Five um, is a little below them. Now, I thought, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought District 
three. Let's see. District three is the electronics one. one oh, five is power. Careers. So five is one of the ones where it's inconsistent because some of them have five more close to where they have a lot of power plants in the Midwest area. Currently, that would be the Boulder Dam, the, the Hoover Dam. Oh, because they do mention dam power. That is actually brought up in the third book. Be, so that makes sense. That would be the location for that. Yeah. And so district 12 in almost everything is, is shown as being in... They mentioned something about Appalachia, Appalachia, whatever, in the book. And so what we saw, and we mentioned this in the last episode, was it looks very much like West Virginia. I think that it's most likely that 12 took place, like 12 was located somewhere in modern-day West Virginia. That seems like the most likely part of Appalachia because of the, the coal mining stuff. And that is probably the most significant area in the United States where we still mine coal, I think. I'm yeah. one, not of the, positive. one of the things about all of the maps... In, in the Panium and all of that, is how small the districts appear to be in the movies. I have a huge, and that's a big problem. How massive they are when you think geographically, because Appalachia covers an area from part of Pennsylvania all the way down to Georgia. So you've got all of that area included. Um, and District 10 here appears to be part of Texas and most of Mexico, um, that kind of thing. And yet in the movies, the appearance is almost like a very small town with a fence all the way around it. Uh, in the book, it talks about yeah. the seam and it talks about the the nicer part of town and then the Victor's Village, which it's never more separated. It's never more than a town. Like, yeah, they actually say, town. so this is in the third book. Does anybody know the population of District 12, as stated in the books? No, or at least in the 10,000. 10,000. Because not a thousand of them got out to 13. 10,000 people. That's a small town. Like a very small we town. Lived in a, we lived in a town of 3,000 people, but it was right across the river from a town of about 15,000 people. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I saw the, the capital's official numbers for the population of all Pan Am is under 5 million people, which is about that of South Carolina nowadays. And I mean, even if you think about that, in 5 million people, how do you make 10,000 significant? It seems wrong. Like it doesn't, the scale of it has always seemed weird to me, which is why I always wondered, was it not like, is it possible that Pan Am, and I mean, again, Suzanne Collins had this in her mind. It could have just been something that in her world building wasn't as important to define, but is it possible that Pan Am was mostly just like the Midwest and East coast of the United States? Cause there's ocean in there. You've got like, you know, you've got dams, you've got mountain ranges, you've got coal mining. Now it doesn't make sense for some of the other things. I do think she intended for it to be spread out, but like, what does that mean for how spread the districts are from one another? It would almost be like in the center of each of these districts is a town of 10 to 15,000 people. Yeah. And, and, hundreds of of and hundreds of miles to the next place. Yeah. To the that, next district. That could totally make sense. That's yes, true. It is. If you You're keep very them, isolated. If you keep them very isolated, that's true. Um, and I think one of the location ones that's really a toss-up is five and three. Um, five on the one map I'm showing you is over. It covers Silicon Valley, but that's where three is in some other estimates. Mm-hmm. And then five is up 
uh, around different sources of power. Three in this map that you're showing uh, covers Indiana, Ohio, right. and Pennsylvania. The Rust Belt. That, yeah, which would be the Rust Belt, Michigan, those yeah. kind of parts. Anyway, I just thought that was all really interesting. Um, and I also thought the... The added world building of each district has the thing, essentially, that it provides for the capital and for the other districts, but really more importantly for the capital. I thought that was such a good way. And she kind of, Katniss talks about how, you know, 12 is one of the only districts where by the time you're 18, you haven't learned any useful skills. Like even in three or sorry, no, in four, they learn how to swim and fish and use tridents and all these things that could be useful. And, um, in 12, you don't go into the mines until after you're not eligible for the games. So you can't learn anything early, but I think it's another thing that just really underlines the way the capital oppresses the people because you, um, one of the things I think 1984 talks about this too. One of the ways that you can oppress people is by limiting the knowledge that any particular group has mm, to the yes. only the necessary parts so that no one has too much knowledge because with too much knowledge, you could potentially be more of a threat. And that plays into what we were talking about a little while ago about the comfort part, just enough comfort to be satisfied, at least mm-hmm. moder- moderately satisfied, not enough, enough comfort to gain knowledge and be sitting around and thinking, well, I read books and I, I gather knowledge just enough to keep you, you know, we're... It's not bad enough it's to not, fight back. Yeah, it's not bad enough to right. wipe it all out, uh, which is often what rebellion does. You wipe it out first and and recreate. So there's a period of, you know, a horrible thing. You know, the, the Soviet union went through that when, you know, that freedom was followed by this period of where it was very difficult uh, to rebuild Uh, this, this map is a reminder though, that um, that would be a a massive reduction in the whole population um, to, I mean, I mean, reduce the population. Yeah, reduce the yeah. population of an entire. I mean, it's not just our country because we're not even including Canada and Mexico, but they are in the Panem map. Right. You reduce it down to the size of one state at the most. And and, and the cap. You're assuming state. the capital's being honest, you know. Right. And not a large state, particularly. You know. That's, that's a huge assumption. Yeah. That's true. That the capital would be honest about population. And where's thirteen? Thirteen is uh, up above where twelve is up, going like okay. maybe Maine up into some of Canada. I think it's unclear, but that's the general consensus. But it would make yeah. sense that it's close to twelve, in that people like have gone through trying to escape to thirteen. They went through the woods outside of twelve. So, um, okay. So why don't we each give a little mini review of what we thought and what's your verdict? Like what's your little review? You can take a minute to do that. And was the book better or did you prefer the movie? Um, I think the book obviously had a lot more detail in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that detail is wonderful to read, especially, um, I read much slower than you do. So, so it takes me a while to read through a book. Uh, and it's nice to have all that detail. I would say that that in this case, I really liked the visual uh, to be reminded of all of that visual. But uh, I still I still like the nuance and the the depth in the book uh, better. So, and I was I was always fascinated in both of the movies so far 
uh, and in the books that technology is available, mm -hmm. but it is very limited to what you're allowed yeah. to use it for, which to me says, and I heard someone else say this too, and I agree with them, um, that if the capital had spent as much effort in oppressing the people, if they had spent that much effort in the technologies to help the people, the, people. the whole, all of Pan Am could be so much uh, better. Yeah. yeah, unpopular opinion. Uh, you know, I have a suspension of disbelief, but I do believe that logically the rebellion would not have happened if they had just stopped doing the Hunger Games. Yeah, I think it was meant to keep you under its thumb, but like... But at some point yeah. that becomes the spark yeah. that leads to the fire. I think if you yeah. had literally just like taken your thumb off of it and gone... You know what? It's been a long time. We feel like the districts understand how much they rely on the capital. You take the Hunger Games away. And, like, I think people, most people are more on the Katniss end of it where they're like, I just want yep. what Give I me can. the opportunity. I, I just want, like, I'll... stability of some kind, whatever I know. Yeah, I agree with that. That's really interesting. There, I think there have actually been historical examples, plenty of them, of, yeah. of oppressive regimes that initially kept the people down, but that continued oppression led to the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Mama? Well, I agree that the book, I agree the book is better in this case because of the, some of the backstories it provides, backstories that I would love to see fleshed out in some fan fiction writing, even if, <laughs> even if they didn't become canon but on the similar line of the way, like the Star Trek franchise, where people over the years have written books that would go into paperback and, and some considered more legit than others. But there's just a lot of stories out there that fill in all these time periods. Okay, so I, I think the second book was full of that kind of history. Mm -hmm. But I also believe the movie ramped up the emotion one, another level of torture happened where you had to see these people, not just Katniss and Peta and Hamage, but you have to see Mags and you have to see Finnick and you see Mags step in for Annie and Annie's this, this tortured little girl. And you see Joanna say, I don't care what I say. The, they can't there's hurt me no, anymore. They can't no hurt me anymore. There's no one left I love. Oh. And you and you realize that Hamish is right there. That's where he is. It doesn't, he just, I think he comes to realize I've masked all this and covered it up with alcohol. But I think the more he comes out and begins to fight for them and help them, he realizes too. What what does it matter? There's nobody left I love. Yeah, it's mentioned in the books yeah. that he he did at one point have a family and a and a girl he loved and and all can I gone. say as I know we're wrapping this up, uh, we didn't say anything about Santa getting whipped up and killed. I was going to mention that in mine. Oh, so sorry. You can cut that out, Josh, because I... Was it in the book and the movie? Mm -hmm. I guess yeah. that's probably why we didn't talk about it. Santa, they do mention in the book that he was not killed in that spot no. he was tortured they think and killed in the capital but i'll give my review next just because um it you brought up cinna 
So this is my favorite of the four movies. I think the fact that it's rated high makes a lot of sense. Um, there were actually things I thought that they did a lot better in the movie or, like you said, brought the emotion out. The change of remember who the real enemy is instead of remember mm-hmm. who the enemy is. Because in the book, the word real is not in that quote. Yeah. And remember who the real enemy is is so excellent. Um, being able to see Cinna, like, and just the impact that that has on Katniss. But, like, you've come to love this character even though you barely see him um the victors holding hands like i got actual chills like when i was re-watching the movie again and again i've seen this again um the in the book and in the movie katniss says something about like you know i can't think about that when gail kisses her or says something about romance and she's like i can't think about that all i can think about every single day since i heard my sister's name being called is how afraid i am and like i thought in the movie you see that like the jabber jays go off and katniss i mean she and finnick acted so well like it was excellent the way that they portrayed just how awful that had to feel to hear their loved ones screaming and like all of this stuff even knowing it wasn't real yeah and i i think in general i was pretty okay with a lot of the stuff that they changed which we've discussed i think the only two things that really bugged me in this we don't need to discuss them i just wanted to mention bd's explanation for why katniss and joanna have to go down to the ocean or go down to the water but Peta and finnick have to stay up and protect him in the book, make a ton of sense. It has more to do with Peta's leg, having he has a prosthetic leg and mm-hmm. he can't run as fast, and they're on a really, really tight time crunch. In the movie, it felt really weird. We watched that scene again today and it didn't work. And then um, I didn't like the ending, mostly just a little addition of there is Katniss, there is no District 12, which is how the book ends. And then he says, Gail kind of throws away the line and then says, It's all gone. And it just like took away from it. But overall, this was a freaking excellent movie. I loved it. I love the nuance of the book, but this is like my favorite one of these to rewatch. So you say the book is better? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm always going to say that. Well, I think that, uh, long story short, the second book, I don't know if it's better than the first book. First book is iconic. True. Second is really a bridge only. Second movie's better than the first movie. Agree. Um, so that's one of the reasons I'm going to say the movie's better. All right. I'll, I have to love you because you're my brother, so I'll let it slide. <laughs> uh, another reason is I think that it's an excellent adaptation because oh, yeah. I was thinking about when does the quarter quell get announced. And in the book, it's about at the halfway point. And I think in the book it works. And in a movie they have to have this three act structure they move it to the one third mm-hmm. point yep. so they have to delete some of the um district 12 oppression stuff from the movie all the training, all that. and and the training mm-hmm. in the beginning of act two if you will and i think that that was all an excellent choice for the movie and I, i'm glad it was in the book and i'm glad it wasn't in the movie kind of um i am a very visual person and so putting faces with these names of all the new characters yes definitely Um, as a reader Mm -hmm. it was a little tough for me i'm kind of a dummy when it comes to reading it was tough for me to really know what all of these people were about but as soon as you see joanna mason come on Mm -hmm. screen Mm -hmm. as soon as you see mags and finnick and uh, all of these people you you know what they're about you they're their own unique character 
the movie was able to tell this story in an excellent way that may be superior to the book in some ways, um, but it was certainly an excellent adaptation that improved, that took what wouldn't have worked if you had directly adapted it, Mm -hmm. and they made it into an actual movie instead of a filmed book. I'm very grateful for the for those who take these kinds of works, these books, and adapt them. Because adapting has to take a lot of thought. Oh, yeah. Because you, you have to take a whole concept and try to translate it. Yeah. Because it's really easy to say word for word what this is. It's a whole different thing to, to take a concept, and we've learned that recently in in the multi-series thing that we've, that we've all watched. Um, it's not a verbatim word for word translation. Um, it is a concept to take a feeling or a thought, uh, and be able to adapt it. So I'm, I I really like the fact that people adapt books. I could do it. Okay. So, okay. So, just, just the name. Probably, if I were trying to do it, I would probably copy it more. Yeah. And I'd go, Same. I'd yeah, be more I would, on that I, I would struggle. Just state the movie name that you first think of that's a horrific adaptation from a book. David Lynch's Dune. I don't even know if I have one. The first mind. one? Yep. That first Dune. To me, it, to me it just, I, I'm thinking of a few different ones that we'll probably cover, and I don't want to get in. Ruin them, and we'll probably do that one too for sure. Um, but I say that because everybody can't do it. Yeah, it, it just like casting can destroy a really good adaptation. In the same way, if a person is writing it and they don't have it, I mean, some people have it and some people don't. Cloud Atlas was was a terrible adaptation. Yeah, the first and, Twilight. Yeah, come on. Eddie Redmayne uh, was the villain in a Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending. That was another one. Oh, that was a bummer. Wait, is that an adaptation? I think it is. It is. Pretty sure it is, yeah. Well, if you are still listening, thanks, because we love having you, random dear listener, that I can't see your face, but I like to think of your face as smiling and laughing with us. Uh, So you can find us pretty much everywhere at Book Is Better Pod. We're on... Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Threads, and YouTube um, as Book is Better Pod. Uh, you can also email us if you have feedback for future episodes or just want to tell us something we got wrong. You can email us bookisbetterpod at gmail.com. Our next episode will come out in two weeks, and we were gonna, we're going to cover Mocking Jay, including the book and both movies. So we will see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye.